Hello, 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 my friends. How you doing? Hope you're well. My name is Rob Orman, and you are listening to the Stimulus Podcast, where we break down ideas, strategies, habits, and tactics to help you live and work with intent to elevate. Don't just suck it up. Think differently. And today's episode is quite a bit different than anything we have ever had on the show. What that usually is, is me either interviewing someone or just walking through approaches or strategies. But what we've got today was inspired by a mentor of mine who said, you know, you talk about coaching all the time on the show. And yes, I do, because that is what I do, coach clinicians. But he went on, no one knows what the heck you're talking about. Almost nobody has had coaching. They don't know what it's like. They don't really know anything about it. So my friends, indulge me as we do a little experiment here, because what you're about to hear is an actual coaching session. And by that, I mean, there was no preparation for this. I had no idea what was coming and we just went. The person being coached had never been through the coaching process before. Our coachee or our client for the day is Dr. Joshua Russell. Josh is the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Urgent Care Medicine. He's a board-certified palliative care physician as well as emergency physician who's got his fingers in a lot of different clinical and non-clinical endeavors, which is going to come up very early on in this. It it may, in fact, be the reason that he came to the coaching session. And I'm just going to say thank you to Josh for being willing to do this because it is no small ask to open yourself, not, not only to a coach within the confines of a session, but in the case of this podcast episode, open yourself up to the world. And let me just set the stage for what you're about to hear. Much of the coaching process is helping a client pull out their ideas, their best ideas, or just their ideas in general. You know, things that have been swimming around in there and having the opportunity to hear themselves going deeper. It's taking something which is general, nebulous, unformed, and then turning it into the concrete and the actionable. For example, someone says, I'm feeling burnt out, or I'm not getting home on time, or I'm stressed driving into work and coming home from work. I'm overwhelmed on shift. Those are broad strokes. So in coaching, we take the broad stroke or the challenge, and then we develop specific actions to address it. So I like to think of this as a funnel where you start with something big, that you don't really know how to contain or constrain. And then through the session, you narrow it down in ways to not only frame it or reframe the idea so that it's tangible and manageable, but also has specific things that you can do after the coaching session to help you move forward. And in the session you're about to hear, you're going to hear me jump in periodically with a voiceover so that we can look under the hood of what's going on in the process And you'll know those jumping in moments by this sound effect. And I'll tell you, I hope you find something useful here. Perhaps it's in the process itself. Maybe it's in the questions I ask or the answers that Josh gives, or maybe there is something ineffable that helps you on the road to kick assery. If you want to learn more about what we do, what I do, you just want to get in touch. All of those things can happen at my website, roborman.com. So let's get to it. A real life safety rails off coaching session with today's client, Dr. Josh Russell. 
what challenge you want to tackle today? What do you want to get into? Well, I thought we would start with something small and uh, talk about deriving meaning from my professional life. Why this topic for this conversation? What is going on in your career with you that this is important to work through? I overextend myself in a lot of different capacities. I'm just enthusiastic about a lot of things. And I um, fall prey to the planning fallacy a lot where I think I can take on a lot more than I can. And then I end up a bit overcommitted. So if I can figure out what is the most meaningful for me to pursue, then, or at least some, some heuristic of de- determining what the likelihood of deriving meaning from it is, then I think I'll be the most satisfied and I'll also be less at risk for taking on projects that are not going to be meaningful or not going to be rewarding. Let me just clarify this a little bit just so I so I'm getting where you're coming from. Are we talking about meaning in general? Like just how do I drive meaning? Are we talking about what is the template on how I decide what to do and how that aligns with meaning? Or is it just how do I extract meaning from this ER shift I'm going to tomorrow? Like what um, and it might be none of those things, but those are the three popping up for me as you say that. Um in my just recently turned 40 kind of phase of life and taking stock of like, I'm not going to live forever. What is my legacy going to be? Is that the most meaningful thing? What is it more enjoying things in the moment? And if it is more enjoying things in the moment, what are those things that I find the most meaningful versus things that seem burdensome even after I've agreed to them and avoiding burdensome things and taking on things that are rewarding? How will we know at the end of this that this was a great session? Or maybe another way to phrase that is, what's the gem that you want to take away from this conversation? I'd love to take away a set or at least one sort of screening question for when I get excited about a new project, a new job, anything that could be broadly labeled as, quote, an opportunity, whether or not it's a either like a hell yes and if it's not a hell yes then it's a no and like figuring out what my hell yes is all right how do i determine if this is a truly a hell yes or this is just my cortisol spike fooling me exactly super interesting josh came in with something really general i want to derive meaning from my professional life it's something that comes up frequently in a coaching engagement where's the meaning what's my purpose here And there's so many directions that this could go or this could have gone. It could simply have been just saying, I want to develop my own mission statement. I want to have a clear understanding of my purpose in medicine or work, my values. And in this case, Josh wants to develop a screening tool on how to make certain decisions. That is definitely tied to the big picture challenge. And what we've done now is set a goal that's meaningful to Josh and also Something that is measurable in the end. That is key. Did we do what we sought out to do in this session? Let's see how we do. Let's see how it goes. Let's jump into it. So this is your first coaching session. I'm going to describe the process just so know it's coming. And one thing that surprises people about coaching is that it's a lot more questions than answers because I certainly can't tell you what the meaning is in your work. So I'm going to ask you open-ended questions, a lot of open-ended questions. And the intent is to better understand the challenge, for us to both better understand the challenge, and hopefully for you to 
come up with some ideas to really dig into this and understand it better. Sound all right? Sounds great. All right. As we're talking about meaning with work, what is it that you find meaningful? The realization I guess I've had through practicing emergency medicine for a little over a decade now is that I find meaning in that identity. So by extension, I find meaning in proficiency in the requisite skills that I need to have as an emergency physician. But somewhat potentially confusingly, I have found a lot less reward and meaning in the act of resuscitation itself. So certainly in residency and early practice, a patient coming in who's on death's doorstep and needing a lot of interventions quickly to sort of determine their outcome, at least their short-term outcome. There's a lot of reward in putting in central lines and intubation and um, performing critical procedures, chest tubes, whatever the case may be, making provisional diagnoses quickly, working with limited data, all those kind of things. And once that sort of became second nature, I took a step back and realized that almost universally, certainly not universally, and there's definitely cases where someone comes in, in from some unfortunate thing and they were previously in good health. But most of this work was delaying the inevitable outcome of this person who's already in very poor health from dying. And oftentimes the people I was resuscitating would never leave the hospital. I'm not, I don't believe because I was doing a poor job of resuscitating them just because they had such serious underlying health conditions. So then there's this wrestling of like, I want to have emergency medicine as part of my identity, but also the fundamental aspects of emergency medicine, I don't find rewarding, at least in the most sick patients. Let's tease that apart a little bit. So what do you find meaningful? You said identity as emergency physician, proficiency, and then what it sounds like almost paradoxical other side of the coin is the thing you, you find less reward in is this excellence in futile care. Sound about right? Yeah, excellence in futile care, I think, is a great way of summarizing it. You find your identity as an emergency physician meaningful. What do you mean by that? Well, I think it's something that is understandable and compelling to other people. And it has to do with this idea of wanting to be respected, enjoying that people are inherently curious when I tell them that that's, that's who I am. I'd say the other big part of it is a ability to handle virtually any kind of situation from a medical standpoint that could unfold. And as I had taken a step away from full-time emergency medicine and done podcasting and writing and training in palliative care, entrepreneurship, urgent care, medicine, um, administrative work in urgent care, all these sort of things, people always have asked me like, what are you? And I still say emergency physician because it's the easiest way to summarize that. And I guess I'm tied to that identity and almost in a way that it, it's not clear that it's empowering. Maybe it's it's hindering me from exploring things that are maybe more exciting. Maybe I can do more creative work that's compelling than the futile care, which I find is often morally not a, re a rewarding experience. But then you have to work in the ER a certain amount to maintain proficiency. So there's that, that tension. 
but how much can I stray away from it and, and without losing that identity or, or is it okay to lose that identity? And do I just need to make peace with that? I want to share something that's coming up for me as you're talking about that. I hear this struggle of you know, having a job description that carries cachet, kind of carries that external cachet. And you're also talking about like this, ex- this internal experience of what really gives you spark in the job. And there's this push and pull. And you also mentioned a whole bunch of other projects that you've done and you're doing. So the question that comes up as you're saying that is what are the common threads in the projects in your life that have longevity and durable joy? Where did that question come from? That's not like some pre-formatted question. What's happening here is I'm looking at the goal, which is to have a screening tool or a question for making decisions that align with meaning. And Josh has been, in a way, responding to an open-ended question about meaning, kind of free associating about where he does and doesn't find meaning in his job. So now we want to start narrowing in and getting specific, laying out the building blocks for the tool, which is the goal for this session. One way I could have gone here was said, all right, let's get into your screening tool. What ideas do you have to build it? Great, that might work. But in this case, over the past few minutes, Josh has been bringing up experiences in his career that were both positive and negative, you know, things that he does or has done with positive and negative valence. So that really seemed like fertile ground, digging deeper into past experience of success and durable joy. Definitely personal growth to feel like I'm, I'm building and growing and learning continuously, which involves being challenged with new situations. So creative thinking, having some insight of tying big ideas together. So those sort of aha moments. And that's that's where I get a spark a lot. So personal growth, opportunity for creativity, you are continually progressing. You can build on what you've built so far. What else? Things that I'm doing that involve building relations and building relationships, finding people that are excited about the same things that I'm excited about or things that are related. And then we can somehow synergistically advance each other's creative projects. Common threads surrounded by fellow creatives, building relationships and synergizing. The note I wrote down was one plus one equals three. Building on what you've built, you're continually progressing, creative, personal growth. As I say that list, what's missing? I'm trying to phrase it in the positives and not the negatives because that's how you're sort of asking the question. Answer the question I should have asked. Hit it. (laughs) So, But things that are going to be financially rewarding in a way that I feel my time is valued. I mean, it's not all about money, but certainly those there's like these practical realities that it has to be remunerated in a way that I'm not under financial stress. Then I would also say has to be physically sustainable. So emergency medicine, I've been very intentional about designing my emergency medicine practice so that I, I'm not really ha- forced to work night shifts. Things that require like a lot of travel at this point, like I don't want to be excessively traveling because that's physically demanding in a way that I don't want that to be my reality. I do appreciate like service is important and certainly like 
being in that state of flow and, and you're not thinking about yourself at all, working on a project or taking care of a handful of patients in the emergency department or in the urgent care or having a really intense sort of goals of care conversation with a patient who just found out they had metastatic cancer. All those service moments are really in immediately meaningful, I guess, like for the experiencing self, those are really meaningful. For the remembering self, I don't really think back on those moments. They're enjoyable in the sense it's like like a roller coaster is enjoyable. It's good. It's it's enjoyable in the moment. Maybe it's more meaningful than a roller coaster, but you don't like remember, at least I personally don't remember the experience like in an ongoing fashion. Is service something that is a common thread in the projects with longevity and durable joy, or is maybe that uh, maybe that in the farm team second tier? I think service is the ultimate goal for all the creative work that I do. Is it's not just to extract <laughs> as much money as I can. Like if I come up with a passive income thing on online, that's not ultimately bringing some joy or helping people. It's not meaningful. Um, and that, so, so direct service or indirect service, I think either way can, can, I can drive meaning from that. What are the common threads? So this is related to a lot of what I've already said, but opportunities to teach. Let's take a pause. So we've got this goal of developing a screening question or questionnaire for when you get excited about a new project or a new job, and we're looking at these common threads and places where you've, you found like, oh yeah, this is the thing. This is something that lasts, something I really enjoy. And we've talked about a lot of different stuff. Is there anything else? I think the only other thing I would say is that humor, fun, lightheartedness, levity is so important. And when I'm diving into a variety of goal-oriented sort of activities, that can fall by the wayside. So it sounds like the thing itself doesn't have to be fun and clowns and circuses on the surface, but there's got to be space for that to happen. Does that, does that sound about right? It doesn't have to be play per se, but for have a, a, an opportunity for play to occur within the larger objective. You may have noticed that there's some prodding. I guess you say prodding around this question of the common qualities of projects that have had longevity and durable joy. There's the question, nothing special about the question. It's just a question. Then there's the answer. And then... What else? What else is in there? And this is in line with something discussed in the last pod, staying curious a little longer, not closing early, probing a little more. And it's not just about me sustaining curiosity, although that's where it starts. It's really for Josh to do it and have some time to be curious about himself. And so far to this point in the session, he's got a nice burgeoning checklist of things that he wants to look for in deciding whether or not he'll commit to an opportunity. Now, the inquiry takes a different approach. Let's look at the opposite of that. Since we're looking at a screening question, sometimes the screening questions are ooh, deal killer. Let's just call it that. What are deal killers? Let's see. That's, a, that's an interesting question. What are the uh, specific things that I, I, I say no out of hand to? Well, at this stage, I'm not taking on anything that is uncompensated. Something that's like totally unsolicited, like offering content for, for, and it's often also uncompensated. Um, picking up extra clinical shifts beyond what I choose for myself. Um, and that's why like Locum's work has worked very well for me. Similarly, like any fixed schedule, like I, even if it's just one day a week, 
I love the flexibility of being able to say like, if I need a Friday or some random Friday or Wednesday off, I can take that. I mean, I can build my work around my life and not vice versa. Uncompensated, totally unsolicited. You don't like, you don't like the cold call. It's no. <laughs> uh, extra clinical shifts. What are other deal killers? Uncompensated, maybe on the flip side of the coin, there's no amount of money that I could be offered to be like some place that I'm sure is a totally dysfunctional ER and they need someone to come in to basically be the warm body, warm body emergency clinician that's staffing it because no one else is willing to work there. And they say, oh, we'll give you $20,000 a day or something like that. I wouldn't do that either. I have limits to the amount of stress that I would take on mm. for the purposes of, of being well compensated. How would you know that, oh, this is going to give, this is going to give me more stress than I want to take on? What's the gauge there? Well, I wouldn't take on any job that I don't personally know someone who's already doing. And like, they mm. could give me a description of what that experience is like as a lived experience. For example, I, we have a mutual friend, actually, I won't say who it is, but they worked uh, a 72 hour shift somewhere in the rural Western America. And they, I don't remember what was some ungodly compensation that they were offered, but they were told that, oh yeah, you usually get to sleep like 12 hours a day. And, and the person did not actually have one opportunity other than maybe an hour or two nap over that 72 hours to, to sleep. Wow. And so, I don't, you know, that, that sort of experience is what I would try to avoid. Um, like, I don't, have, I don't think there's a price on that level of squeezing of my adrenal glands. What other deal killers? I think just intuition. If my gut tells me this is, now it's not for me. Yeah. Not worth my time. Not interesting. We'll be fine. I so spidey sense that this is going to suck. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, let's put this under the lens of what we we're talking about before with projects that have been great. And maybe you're even still doing now, or that you've you know re recently doing, or that you did, and they had a they had an end date, but longevity, durable joy. What are common threads in projects that have not had longevity and durable joy? I want to put a proviso on that. So these are projects that have not had longevity or durable joy, but seemed exciting when you said yes. I think anything that seemed exciting for the when i on reflection seemed like it was some sort of good cv line or notoriety would come from it was ultimately more of a hollow pursuit or or unrewarding like use of my time often because we i personally misconstrue like the upside of you know having been published in such and such journal or appearing on some such and such show or podcast or whatever the case may be. And the, the downside of working on something that I actually have no intrinsic interest in working on has never been worth the chasing. Let's put that up to the mirror here. So doing it just for external merit has turned out not to be fulfilling in the end. Does that sound right? Yeah. What is the opposite of that? Well, I think we're actually starting to get to a question here. This is a good screening question is, you know, if I got only whatever the fair market compensation was for the, the project. And no one even knew that I did it. Maybe my name wasn't even on it. 
I didn't get the attribution, would I still do it? Would it still be rewarding in its own right to, to be engaged in that creative process? So if no one knew you did it, would you still do it? Almost like a ghostwriter, you know, it, it, people who are ghostwriters, I'm sure enjoy writing because <laughs> they're not getting ever acknowledged as the author of whatever they're writing. And I should sort of like, if I were a ghost author, a ghost podcaster, a ghost clinician, a ghost teacher, whatever, would I still do it? Because the, the uh, recognition, even though it's alluring for some reason, for the ego probably, um, on initial assessment, it's never turned out in all my experience to be as rewarding as as I thought it would be. And it clouds my judgment about how much I would actually enjoy the work itself. Let's just stress test this for a minute as we're looking at this question. You are the editor-in-chief of a pretty well-known journal, and that has external merit, that has cachet. If you went back in time and you applied that heuristic, if no one knew that you were the editor-in-chief, if you were the ghost editor-in-chief, would you still do it? I would. As you use that question, I don't know, retroactively or retrospectively, how does that question feel as far as a screening question or the screening question? I don't feel like I need any special recognition for the work that I'm doing. I just want the mission to be achieved for which I'm tasked and throwing a title around to advance that goal is what I appreciate about the title. It's actually not the recognition. Although I suppose like there was a short period of time after I took the role on where it felt new and shiny and exciting. And then it just, then it was just time to roll up my sleeves and get to work. Here's what I'm hearing with that. So having even having that title did allow for personal growth and opportunities for creativity, opening the doors and continually progressing. So as we look back, however, at the other things, at the things that you said yes to that were shiny and exciting, and we've just come up with this question of where you came up with this, if no one knew you did it, would you still do it? Is there any other common thread and things that you thought might be a hell yes, but turned out to be a no? Anything else that turned out to be a no and hell yes clothing? Uh. <laughs> oh, here's, here's a good example, I guess. So I did these medical evacuation flights for a while where I was called with less than 24 hours of notice and said, hey, we need to get a fixed wing in the air and get a passenger or a patient back from Asia and repatriate them. And that was like so compelling and, you know, sort of Indiana Jones and medicine crossed and all these kind of things. And it was fun. The times I did it for sure. Some interesting stories, but being like 24 seven available for like in a uh, 72 to 96 hour John to Asia definitely distracts from a lot of personal relationships locally, you know, my family, my, um, and then my ability to do the other jobs. So that was one that I think that was another good example. While it was fun, trying to carve out space for that meant that short shrift had to be given to other things that I might be interested in taking on. I and mean, I had some time to work in the air and all those sort of things, but like I couldn't do clinical shifts scheduling around being off 
perpetually basically it was all what you what they required so that was one example of how i had to forsake a lot of other things that i was interested in engaged in to try to make space for this one thing that in itself wouldn't be fully rewarding to all that i need to get out of my professional life something that is really cool but has but has such a big footprint when you say yes to something you're saying no to a whole bunch of other things but saying yes to something says no to a ton of other things and it restricts your ability to stay engaged with what gives you delight yeah that's beautiful i think that's exactly the way to summarize is like how much how many no's are inexorably tied to this one yes because if it's a lot of no's then that one yes has to be something that's really like oh this is a chance of a lifetime let's pull this together i'm going to put some things in the chat right now with your yeses your kind of your your hell yes your no common threads that's great obviously you can't see what josh and i have in the zoom chat so if you want to see the notes from this session or at least the summary of the notes with the qualities of josh's hell yes the aspects of the no as well as the screening questions that josh has come up with and spoiler will come up with all that will be in the show notes on the website. But what's happening real time is that we're both looking at all of the stuff we've talked about in amalgam in one place to see if it brings anything else to the surface. So the hell yes or no screening questionnaire. <laughs> we've got our first question. If no one knew you did it, would you still do it? As you look at all these, at the things that have had longevity and durable joy, the things that have not, what other questions are coming up as viable screening questions or heuristics? If I had some criteria of money to not have to ever work again, would I still be interested in doing this or not? Because if it's, if it's a no categorically, then that means it's probably pretty hollow because I'm only doing it for the money. If it's a yes, but with less frequency, then it's probably something that I enjoy. I just I'm doing it a little bit more than I would like to because I don't have a trust fund. Billionaire Josh, would I do this if I didn't get paid? I mean, even even ten million. I mean, it's not billionaire. It's, I don't have I don't, I, don't have, I don't have that much of lavish taste. <laughs> ten millionaire. What other screening questions are coming? up? This is not something we really talked about a lot, but just imagining myself in that role, is it getting me closer to my idealized version of myself or am I like more of a miserable son of a bitch when I do those things? And if I am, then I probably shouldn't be doing things that I know have in the past brought out the the opposite of the better angels of our nature, so to speak. What else? So a lot of what else is, is that, man, it's really... Probing, probing the deep recesses, but this is good. So there are people that count on me in my life, um, in my my family, most specifically that, and most notably. And if something is going to take so much of my mental, emotional energy, time that it's going to lead to almost necessary necessarily filial neglect, then that's definitely something I should avoid. Let's just see how this sits with you, and then we'll just look at it from a different angle. You're presented with this opportunity. Questions to ask yourself. If no one knew you did it, would you still do it? 
Would you do it if you didn't get paid? If you already had resources? Getting closer to your idealized version of yourself. Will it take disproportionate time that leads to filial neglect? Is there anything we're incomplete on with this question set? If I'm saying yes to a new opportunity, new project, new job, is that going to force me to say no to something I'm already working on? And just like figuring out what that actual like physical space is, the storage unit is full. Like what's going to come out to put that in? <laughs> We've got these questions so far. Let me put that, let me put in the chat what you have come up with. Is there anything on there that's missing? That looks great. All right. Your friend, Josh, has asked you to coffee and you're sitting down across from her. Oh my gosh, it's you. You're having coffee with yourself. And this Josh says, hey, I just got offered this job. I'm not sure if I, if I should take it. I want your advice. What advice would you give him? You know, the, the list, obviously, that you provided would be very helpful for this. I think that was the whole point of the exercise. You know, I want to hear how he described it. Because I think in listening to myself in this scenario, you could get a sense of what was exciting about it. Because clearly there's something, if you're on the fence, if I'm on the fence, um, there's something that must be exciting about it. And then... Because I also have this list, so I'm, you know, have this insight as to what is going to bring Josh satisfaction and meaning from any pursuit. I would cross-reference that and say, okay, he said he's excited about is that the things that equate to a hell yes, or is he being fooled by something shiny, but it's actually pyrite or fool's gold, right? Fool's gold, love it. How do you operationalize that moment? with just yourself. Now in real life, you have been offered this opportunity. And how do you apply that moment, coffee shop, in your hell yes or no screening questionnaire? I think space is really important for that. Hopefully this is something that's solicited over text or email, something like that, and not just an offer in person. But if it is an offer in person, realizing that I need to not just reflexively give a definitive answer, widening that space between the stimulus and the response. Taking a beat, don't answer right away. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a reason why sleeping on it is like, you know, a time-honored tradition. Wrapping this up, we started with this deriving meaning from your professional life with this goal of a screening question or questions of what to do when you get excited about a new project or a job. Where are you now with that particular goal? I'm visualizing a net and sweeping it through the water of opportunities. And it's going to catch the, the nose, I think, a lot better than no net whatsoever. I think it's incomplete, but it's a, it's a really good start. I mean, this is one session. So you've, you've definitely honed it down from something extremely nebulous and poorly formed on my part, but it was actually exactly what needed to happen to functional to to operationalize it and it's given me more ideas you know that i can jot down on the rest of these notes after we're done too i think so mission accomplished dr orman out of curiosity what would it take to make it complete that's a great question i don't i think it would always be changing mm -hmm. um to a certain extent 
hopefully growing, but there might be certain things based on phase of life and priorities shifting in life that it may change significantly. But I was thinking about just also considering what are the potential upsides and downsides and just sort of the risk benefit calculation beyond just opportunity costs to the other projects I'm working on. Because oftentimes the likelihood of a really, really good outcome is low and the the possibility of a bad outcome is high or vice versa. So just taking that risk benefit calculation to consideration, which I didn't really specifically mention before, but that would add that to the list. What insight did you have about yourself working through all this? Well, I don't think I'm alone in this regard, but just that spending more time sitting in contemplative practice, mindfulness exercises would be helpful because as I am surveying the list of things that I'm engaged in now and I've been historically engaged in, I think a lot of them I jumped into without being mindful about my motivations and without taking stock. It's easy for personally my ego. I would hope I'm not alone in this regard to unduly influence the, the potential upsides, especially when it comes to external recognition, praise, notoriety, other people thinking that you're impressive and doing worthwhile work, things of that nature, which seem more meaningful thinking about them than they actually have, at least for me, turned out to be when that actually happens. Josh has come up with all this great stuff, his screening checklist, some potent questions. And one other thing that needs to be considered that we haven't brought up yet is what actually happens when this process meets the light of day? What's going to be the failure point? And then what do we do about it? So we've got this you know, this nascent hell yes or no screening questionnaire. What do you see potentially getting in the way of holding yourself accountable to your own heuristic? Honestly, the biggest liability I think is not is, is people pleasing or not wanting to let people down. So the gracious no, I can't remember who it was, the guy who, I can't remember his name, he was on Tim Ferriss' podcast, but he, he started Shake Shack and he apparently had this really gracious no in, in one of the books that Tim Ferriss wrote. He published this gracious no and I want to like go back and <laughs> listen to that again. Yeah. But this notion that someone is, you know, probably goes back to some childhood thing. I know this isn't therapy, but like, you know, goes back to childhood and wanting to be picked for the team when they're on the, on the playground and they're picking basketball sides or whatever. Um, it's like, it's sort of flattering to be asked to do something still to me. And I can let that flattery or that desire to not let someone down who's asking me for help. I could let that certainly cloud my judgment and take on more than I have capacity for and or more than something I don't even want to do. All right. What a sesh. Now that we've wrapped, how was that for you? This is, if this was your first like official coaching session. Yeah, it was interesting. I think really helpful and something I could see certainly being really a lot more valuable now that I know what it's like. And I could say, okay, this is something that I'm struggling with. This is a forum for, for solving it. Whereas 
talking to just friends or family members or coworkers about it. It's first of all, it's not their job to solve your problem. So you're going to get varying responses and it may just lead them to talking about themselves or they may not understand it. So much more functional than just talking about this casually because it's it's so goal-oriented and I love that about it. And I think I mean, haven't done therapy before. I, th- I wasn't sure what the distinction was, but this is it's clearly a lot more, let's come up with solutions and more goal-oriented for an individual session rather than just sort of like exploring things. Although that obviously a million different ways to approach therapy too. But yeah, the functional aspect of it, practical aspect is amazing. I think I was not paying close attention to exactly how you were navigating it. Mm-hmm. But to me, that's actually, I would assume desirable is that your style of running the session or facilitating the session, I don't know how you, how you, what phraseology you use, was not distracting from me sort of working through my own thoughts and feelings about the topic. And that is it for today. To learn more about one-on-one coaching, to get complete show notes for this or any other episode, sign up for our newsletter, and find the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Maybe not, maybe it's happening. Just head over to our website, roborman.com. Until the next time, my friends, be well and keep on rocking.